Welcome, teacher friend. I'm Lori. And I'm Melissa. We are two literacy educators in Baltimore. We want the best for all kids, and we know you do too. Our district recently adopted a new literacy curriculum, which meant a lot of change for everyone. Lori and I can't wait to keep learning about literacy with you today. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Literacy Podcast. Melissa and Lori love literacy. Melissa, welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you. you. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah. Welcome doing, to our podcast good. is what I should say. <laughs> we've, had, we've had a lot of tech issues today, so uh, we are very happy We're hanging to, be, in there. to be started. Yeah. Um, and welcome to our fabulous guests. How are you both? Doing, doing very well. well. And we good. have two, two guests today. Yeah. So we have some friends from Skinny Atlas. Did we say it right? Yes. Good job. <laughs> Excellent. Skinny Atlas, New York. Woohoo. And you're up in the yes. Finger Lakes, right? Yeah, we are the Lakers, the Lakers of Skinny Atlas. Yeah, I'm a little jealous. Nice. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> All right. So we have Francine and John, and we'll let them introduce themselves, unless, Lori, you had more you wanted to say about Francine and John before. Yeah, I, I'm just excited because I'm I'm thrilled today to have two lenses on this podcast, the district lens and yeah. the leadership lens, school leadership lens. So I will frame that before, you know, you two introduce yourselves and then then turn it over. So John, you want to introduce yourself first? Sure. Thanks, Lori. Hi, I'm John Lawrence. Yeah. I'm the principal of State Street Intermediate School here in Skinny Atlas. We are grades three, four, and five. And I'm Francine. Nice. And I'm Francine Grinnell. I'm the K-12 Humanities Curriculum Coordinator in Skinny Atlas, New York. Excellent. So we love having people who are on the ground doing the work. <laughs> this is These are our favorite podcasts because we get to talk about like what's actually happening in schools. How is it rolling out with, you know, high quality instructional materials? What, what actually happens? So we love talking to, yeah. to you all about this. Yeah. What are students doing? (laughs) (laughs) Well, maybe I'll just just start a little bit about how we, you know, kind of came to Wit and Wisdom. And I think that's a part, important part of our journey in supporting teachers and our teachers supporting students. Um, Yeah. So that's what I was going to ask. Tell us about your journey. Tell us about it. Everybody has a journey story. Go ahead, Francine. (laughs) So in New York State, um, our state has rolled out new standards for ELA. They're called the Next Generation ELA Standards. And the standards emphasize explicit instruction and foundational skills, deep knowledge building, um, advanced literacy skills, and, you know, kind of this bucket of lifelong practices of readers and writers authentically reading and writing. And these standards um, really helped pushed us to um, stop and think about and evaluate what we were, our current practices. And um, through this knowledge building with the standards in evaluating our current practices, we realized we needed to align um, some of our high quality instructional resources and our programs to match the science of reading and the evidence base that we were learning about. Um, And through a rigorous uh, curriculum selection process, um, we narrowed the selection from four uh, core programs to one, and our teachers um, did a hands-on review and selected Wit and Wisdom um, to be our ELA program in grades three through eight. Uh, At the same time, our teachers in K through two were going through a similar process um, and really focusing on that word recognition strand, the foundational skills strand. So um, their work lived a little bit more specifically in that area, um, where in 3.3, we were looking kind of at the not only the word recognition, but really getting into language comprehension portion of, if you think about Scarborough Strand as a, a model to think about and referencing the work. Um, and then we, you know, I'll let John uh, add in, but then we, but then we just wanted to make sure we were developing structures and routines and systems to support teachers um, in ways so that they could implement the high quality curriculum we selected in a way that supported students in the classroom. Yeah, the whole thing started with um, a discussion with Francine and I a couple of years ago and then talking to our teachers and, and finding out what exactly they needed, what they wanted to see. And they were all excited to, to take on the role as learners in trying to see what was available as far as high quality curriculum materials. We had been a balanced literacy program like many schools in upstate New York for, for years and years and years. And we had a lot of good results um, with that. 
but having them um, take the ownership that they want to take on this this challenge themselves. And so to start that off, we use the advanced literacy briefs from New York State. There's eight briefs that go through exactly what schools should be looking at as far as high quality curriculum materials. And we use those briefs and that's how we started the work was looking at the briefs and having teachers take on those roles as learners and finding out before we put things in front of them, what to look for. They knew exactly what they wanted to look for on their own. And they looking through different high quality materials, high quality curriculums, they understood what the um, what briefs resonated with them, what resonated with us as Skinny Atlas and the things that we high, hold true um, as learners and educators. And one of those things was authentic text within uh, within the, the literacy with instruction. Um, being a balanced literacy school for years, we wanted to see books in kids' hands. And that really drove our work forward, finding the right curriculums that kind of modeled that for us. It's really cool. I didn't know about these briefs from New York yeah. State. Yeah. What? Oh, the, John has them in his hand. Yeah, that's, <laughs> I was wondering, like, who, who, who create, like, who wrote them? Is Dr. that a silly question? Dr. Noni Lasso um, and Emily Galloway, uh, also Dr. Galloway and Dr. Lasso, created a series of topic briefs um, for New York State Education Department to help demonstrate and put words to um, what instruction should look like and what curriculum should include if we're using the uh, the standards as a basis of our instruction. So if we have standards-based instruction, the briefs um, layer another component into explaining what instruction should include and look like within the classroom. <clears throat> I was going to ask that if they had similar things, like you mentioned, knowledge building was in the standards. Is that something that also comes out in those briefs too? Yeah. Is it? Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. One of the briefs, as John was just mentioning, um, it's brief three, and it's also known as Hallmark One. Um, and <clears throat> so it's advanced literacy instruction for engaging content-rich texts. And that that content-rich text brief was really, really resonated with our teachers. Mm -hmm. So if we take that brief and think about, um, you know, we ask teachers to now take the knowledge of the briefs and then look at these different uh, core programs that we were you know, putting side by side and asking teachers to evaluate based on what they had learned. One thing that popped up immediately for teachers was the rich, authentic, content-rich text to build deep knowledge that wit and wisdom included. Um, so the constellation of texts, not just books, but um, the other opportunities through media, um, artwork, um, poetry, songs, um, videos that students could use to build knowledge to help address the learning that was going on and, and not only the comprehension of bigger topics and essential questions, but also with the, within their writing. Um, it stood out. It was like so clear to teachers that this wisdom, you know, had something that the other programs didn't in this, in not only in that brief, but in many of the others as well. That's so interesting. I'm curious that, you know, a lot of times balanced literacy teachers are very, <laughs> strong and like they want to keep doing what they're doing and the mindset shift is a little bit tough I'm wondering if these like briefs and standards from the state helped you all with the teachers making that shift I'm not sure if it did I'm just asking <laughs> I, I think it did and I think having that blueprint with the standards with the briefs it gave teachers a glimpse into what they were missing out on yeah. Um, having a, a really great curriculum in place, it doesn't take away from the autonomy of teaching. It just adds to it. It gives you an idea of, of what you're doing next, um, what the people next to you in, in the class next door is doing. And I don't want to say it holds teachers accountable. That's not at all what it does, but it gives them the tools to be really successful and to not focus on so much the planning of it. Because my experience yeah. as a principal that had a balanced literacy curriculum it, it takes a lot of work. It takes an awful lot of work to find how you're going to take these books and and get the kids the right the right standards, the the right skills um, with a curriculum that has those high quality texts in place. It just allows them to focus on the connections with the students, the connections to the content, and build those deep relationships that's going to allow these these kids to thrive. Yeah. A another example in that area, um, I think. It, it, we know, we, we all know that um, a lot of the evidence-aligned instruction and um, science of reading 
as as many people across the nation have been talking about in more recent uh, years, we know that that work has been the research has been siloed in different areas and disciplines, and sometimes you know it's made it's been difficult to cross over into mainstream K twelve education for a variety of reasons. Um, the briefs really help to elevate and lift up the research because they're based the briefs are based in research around science of reading. And so it was able, we were able to communicate and deliver it in a way directly tied to the standards that then teachers could um, start thinking about in terms of instructional materials and their um, and their actual instruction. So another brief, we've already talked about the content rich text, but another brief around classroom discussions really elevated the conversation with our teachers about what are our students doing in terms of ownership of their authentic, you know, academic discourse that's helping them to make meaning from what they're reading and as a rehearsal to their writing. So when we saw how the Socratic seminars are embedded within Wit and Wisdom, teachers are like, oh, it's there. I see it. I see how the research, the, the briefs are in action within this, um, within this curricular resource in a way that really spoke to them. Um, and, and all of this, as John and I have been discussing, this happened prior to even implementing, uh, starting our implementation process. This was the selection process. So you have a group of educators now really excited that they've selected a curricular resource based on what they had been learning. So, right. you know, they get to that starting point of getting those, those, that resource in their hands. And yes, there's, you know, it's, it's, it can be overwhelming and scary at first to implement something new, but there is an excitement and ownership around this um, that was authentic and really created a great positive uh, momentum as we started a year ago. Um, and we started with our wit and wisdom launch professional development um, that all of our teachers participated in. Yeah. I, I feel like I can attest to that because I've met with your teachers a couple times and Melissa and I will be interviewing them soon and they are excited and they do on this work and they, like, they are just so excited to share what their students have accomplished. That I think is honestly, when I think about the skinny Atlas journey, that's what I think is a true piece to elevate there is that teachers are so proud that they let students do the work that students have done work they've never done before. And that teachers can see like the quote fruits of their labor because they've given students the opportunity to access complex texts and tasks and, and really lift that up. So I can't wait to talk with the teachers, but what you're saying is true. They do have excitement and ownership. And I, I feel like it's really exciting that you did it within the context of the curriculum. Like you had these briefs and then you, you know, you looked at the curriculum and you were like, oh, here, here's, here's where this stuff lives rather than spend like two years looking at the briefs and like trying to unpack the research <laughs> from the briefs, you know, like, and I feel like that, that sometimes does happen. Like when you're trying to prime for something, but I do think the most effective learning sometimes happens in the moment and, and when you're in the, in the stuff and in the work. So can you tell us a little bit about, um, you know, you said the wit and wisdom, professional development, the launch, but how else did you support teachers and, and what did that support look like throughout I, maybe year one, just speak to year one? I think that having that open discussion and dialogue with our teachers right from the very beginning, because right from the start of wit and wisdom, it, it's rigorous, it's challenging. It's, mm -hmm. it was something completely new to what they'd done before and just having an open, open ear and an open door policy. And if they had concerns, let's talk about it together. Um, because some of the content that we were, we were exposing the students to, we completely believed in, but it was, it was intense stuff. There was things that challenged some of the ways we've been teaching us history before, in social studies and about the Trail of Tears and Chief Joseph and the Nez Perce Native Americans um, and how they were pushed from their, their homeland for centuries um, by, the, by the U.S. Army. And students, you know, they couldn't believe that this happened because some of the some of the way that we were teaching, you know, U.S. history was, you know, the, the pilgrims and the first mm -hmm. Thanksgiving and here in, in upstate New York with uh, the uh, Haudenosaunee, the Iroquois Nation, and learning about um, this part of the history that doesn't really get exposed to New York State students. Um, it was a powerful way um, for them to learn about those those tough, deep topics and building that background knowledge. Um, but some teachers were thinking, we're not sure if these students are ready for this. We're not sure if mm -hmm. they can handle that. And it was yeah. a lot of trust the process. 
Um, you've researched this, you know what this is about. Trust the process and, and know that anything that we need for these students, we can support them through it. If it's a tough discussion, we have the people that are in place with our school counselors, with um, your, your colleagues in your classrooms that can help students get through this. And, and overall, um, after a few weeks, the students just rose to the occasion and thrived in the questions they asked and, and the way they connected their learning to years previous was just incredible. So interesting because I think we often talk about like having high expectations for our students, but it's usually in the sense of like, you know, they can read this text that's at a higher level. But I, I think it's interesting to think of it in the way you just said, John, of like, they can handle these bigger topics and like <laughs> really think about some tough stuff that happened in our history. And we should have high expectations that they can handle those things too. Absolutely. From a, from a district perspective and just um, in a previous role I had before coming to Skinny Atlas, I was involved in professional development. I was the director of professional development in Syracuse City School District, not too far from Skinny Atlas. Mm-hmm. And I had the, um, a great opportunity to work with Learning Forward. It's a professional learning association dedicated to professional learning for educators. And um, there's standards in professional learning. So walking into this uh, curriculum implementation, I wanted to make sure that we as a team, as a leadership team, um, you know, supporting our teachers with um, effective ways in which we're going to characteristics of professional learning. And those, uh, you know, if you're implementing professional learning, again, based on research and um, evidence, then you're going to have a better outcome around affecting teacher practices um, and improving student results. So, you know, some of the areas that we focused on that are connected to those standards, um, we created a learning community. We really focused on, you know, our work prior to the the implementation of Wit and Wisdom started the learning community. We're learning more about the standards and those briefs. Um, But we really wanted, um, we wanted to have teachers, you know, commit to and be part of a continuous improvement um, cycle. Um, There's collective responsibility in the work that we were doing together in learning um, around our the implementation of our first year. And our first year was all about learning. Um, you know, we said we want you, you know, as district uh, administrators and building administrators of supporting teachers, we wanted, we said, we want you to focus on three things this year. Implement the curriculum as designed, implement wit and wisdom lessons as designed, utilize the resources that accompany, you know, that we purchase and accompany the program as designed. And then, you know, we want, we, we as well, side-by-side learning with you, we, we, we want to understand these bigger enduring understandings of how the curriculum is designed around these essential questions, how things are the learning design of the program itself. Um, other ways in which I think we supported the teachers, um, or at least we tried to support the teachers so that they could t- kind of see these aha moments within their classroom um, you know, we dedicated, we had dedicated protected time for professional learning and for these, uh, like a learning community, if, if you want, I, I would say it's a, it was a community of practice in a way that we came together both in hor- like grade level teams and then vertically at times across grade levels to discuss um, how things were going with the implementation. Um, so dedicated teacher collaboration time, as well as additional time outside of their maybe typical planning time. Um, resources. Um, you know, we, once we knew that we were also moving into a year fully, uh, you know, kind of within COVID, uh, you know, attending to remote instruction, hybrid instruction, we purchased, we dedicated the resources needed to ensure that teachers had what the resources they need um, needed. So we not only had the, the print resources the teachers needed, but we purchased access to NSYNC, um, the digital resources and a firm. And um, we tried to really focused on looking at data from the student work that they were collecting and, and mm-hmm. thinking about how those related to those outcomes that we would want to see within the standards. So um, you know, really thinking about how we could use professional learning as a lever to support teachers so that then they could in turn really dedicate their time and thinking about and, and working with their students to see that growth. It's so important. I think it's it's really easy for at the district level, right, to say, like, I got I got these things from New York State. They say we have to do X, Y, and Z. So guess what? We're doing a new curriculum. You have to do it, teachers. <laughs> There's no, no saying it. So I just love the, I mean, 
the way you all did that was like, we're in this together and let's, let's learn about everything together. Let's choose the, the curriculum together. Let's then learn about this first year of implementation together and how it goes. And what do we, what do we learn from that? Um, I just think yeah. it's, it's really beautiful. And it was, you know, some structures we had in place to support teachers, you know, common planning time every single day with, you know, if we have inclusive co-taught classrooms as well with the special education teachers and the teaching assistants, they all had that dedicated time in getting things scheduled for, for professional development with wit and wisdom. Um, that was the biggest thing. And, I, and the things I noticed during those common planning times, you know, teachers are always busy and they, they make that time really valuable to themselves. Mm-hmm. The year previous, it was, it was, what are we going to do? Like, what are you going to do with this time? How are you going to, you know, what are we going to do? What are we going to use? What materials can we find? If it's something online, if it's, you know, it's teacher pay teacher, if it's something else, it changed to how are we going to do this? How are you going to implement this aspect of the lesson? How are you going to handle this one topic or this one um, 20 minute block of, of dialogue or discourse? Or how are we going to help tackle this um, or scaffold the instruction for this writing prompt? it just changed the view just a little bit from what are we going to do to how are we going to do it better? I love that. Cause it feels like you're going from like a low level of Bloom's taxonomy to a very high level of, of that same uh, chart <laughs> thinking <laughs> question structure. I'm not a big fan of it all the time, but um, <laughs> um, I mean, I do think you have to go through those steps to get there, but um yeah, I mean, you're they're asking questions like that to each other that are. I, mean, I assume the conversation is much more is much more rigorous and rich than it was with. Well, what are we going to do? You know, next week, or what are we going to do? <laughs> yeah, it's it's really planning ahead and being able to think about their students. I loved uh, Francine how you said it that um, the professional learning is a lever to support teachers so that teachers can support students. And it sounds like John, that's what you were effectively able to support teachers in executing at the school level. I'm curious, John, if you might be able to um, dive a little bit more into what uh, Francine described, like um, what did like the learning communities look like? She had mentioned um, like horizontal and vertical structures and uh, teacher collaboration time and resources. Like I'm interested to hear a little bit more at the school level of what that played out to look like. So the big thing was that the biggest piece of that was that common planning time for all for, for each grade level band. That was the horizontal planning that took place every day. Um, on top of that, we had, you know, weekly team meetings that, that curriculum is always a part of that. Um, even if it was just a quick five minute check-in between with myself or with Francine or with our other, our STEM colleague, Brian Cohen, who's in charge of math, um, we would pick and choose what topics were necessary because that time also was, you know, if you're both, you were both teachers, it's also, what are we going to do for holiday parties? What are we going to do for field trips? So we have to sure. kind of make that, that's important stuff too. Uh, and I'm, I'm all that stuff. Yeah, it all is. that stuff. Yeah. So trying to make sure that there's always that piece of PD or collaboration around curriculum or learning intentions that are in there as well. Um, starting off from the summer and looking at the entire school calendar and when can we find times to have that vertical alignment? Is it superintendent's days? And oftentimes it was. And, and with yeah. the uncertainty of last year with getting subs, that was another challenge that we had to overcome <sighs> because we have some great substitute teachers, but a lot of them are, are retired teachers or they were in that risk category for COVID. And we lost at least 60% of our, our really high quality subs. So trying to find the time to get the right subs in place, to give the teachers the release time to work on this. And it, it may have been just the right time of opportunity that we, you know, we made a few phone calls and we get six people into sub on, on two weeks from now and we'll give teachers a half day to work on this. Um, that was really valuable time. So this year coming up, it will be much more structured with that. Last year, there was times that we were flying by the seat of our pants because we, our numbers crept up and were fear of being shut down. Um, right. But we also used that time when we were remote to, to take time um, to discuss what was happening with the remote instruction. So having remote instruction gave us a little bit more flexibility with our time to collaborate and to think on how we're going to use that Learn Anywhere plan, or sorry, the in-sync program of Wit and Wisdom and make that really, really high quality and really impactful for kids. That's really helpful. I'm excited to hear more about this year, like once you get in and going, because I, I think it's pretty wild and also very brave that you all forged ahead with a year one implementation of a new curricula in 
to the times of the pandemic. I know yeah, a lot of places sure. put it on hold and it's pretty cool that you were like, no, we need to do this now and felt the urgency there. It was an opportunity. Uh, Francis and I both had those kind of silver lining moments this past year. We're like, thank heavens that we decided to go forward with this because of the structure that was in place, because of the planning, the, the you know, really purposeful planning. We had yeah. teachers up until last summer that would say, are, are you really sure you want to do this? Are we, are we really, <laughs> should we, should we wait a year? And it was like, no, just again, trust the process. We put a lot of time into this and you're going to like having the resources right in front of you. You're going to like knowing what's next. That'll be so such a, a crutch for the teachers to lean on. Um, if we were going to be remote, if we were going to be out of school for a week, or if the teacher was going to be quarantined with, with 20 other kids, yeah, it was nice to know what the plan was. I didn't even think about all those details, right? The, the benefits of of a curriculum during COVID. I, I think just to add, a little, I think I think just to add a little bit more context to to what John was saying to the you know in terms of what the time looked like. So, um, you know, we engaged in professional learning up front, and then we um, we also we didn't um, we we modeled the. Uh, professional learning around the module and study protocol with our teachers um, internally. Um, but we use the wit and wisdom planning protocols, the module study protocol, the focusing arc study protocol, and the lesson study protocol as a structure to craft our conversations and our kind of learning community. So we use those protocols. And, you know, what I, what we really tried to encourage with teachers is, um, this is like a time to internalize what the module is is. Um, so what does that include? Reading the texts and I'm underscoring, there's a lot more within those modules, uh, the, the protocols, but in reading the texts, understanding the bigger picture of the module, uh, understanding how the focusing arcs um, and those, that sequence of instruction is in service to the uh, essential question um, and, and or the end of module task. And then uh, at the lesson level, how those lessons individually build towards that focusing arc and the overall module. Um, use the, you know, and then we were able to, so we, we, I think that at first it was around like the pacing. We focused a lot on what does this first module look like in terms of pacing? Oh, we need maybe a pause day to catch up. This mm -hmm. lesson took a little bit longer. Um, but then also thinking about what, how are we using exemplars with our students and, and within the learning design? And we've learned more about that this summer, actually. Um, you know, how can we use the rubrics and checklists to help students understand what's expected of them? And how do we use that then to give feedback? Um, we also ask, you know, teachers to think about, in, in, you know, where will there be misconceptions? Where might there be some ways that we have to reinforce? Um, and in the first year, that's, it, it's, it's exciting to experience that. And now teachers are really excited to take their first year of implementation, some additional professional learning around fluency and writing, and now roll that into uh, their year two of implementation. Yeah, that's what I was just thinking about as you were chatting is, um, or as you were sharing, how are teachers feeling about year one and what did they reflect on? What did they feel were uh, successes and challenges and how will they shift their practice in moving into year two? I know that's a really big question. So, <laughs> John, do you want to start sure. and then maybe yeah, I'll add in? Clean up my answer for me. So, no. <laughs> that's okay. That's, that's, that's always good for me. He's like, yeah, you it. go first. You go first. Um, I can go. I can go. No, first. it's okay. I think the, success, the successes that we saw, um, was just like the pride the teachers had in what the students were achieving. Um, the, the pride and the excitement the teachers had for what was next. Like they couldn't believe they'd say, John Francine, you wouldn't believe what just happened in my classroom. You wouldn't believe the, the conversation they had. You got to get in here and see this. We were, we were discussing awesome. uh, the scene and how these kids experiences, um, you know, living on a lake and, and things like that, how it relates to their own lives. Um, we live in a great we work in a great community. We live in a great community here in Scanales, but these kids are very fortunate to get a lot of, a lot of great experiences. Um, and they have some, some family members that do incredible things and they can see what their, their grandfather, who was a, you know, a biologist and how they talked about um, ponds and streams and how that tied into how creatures live in the ocean. Um, the, so 
the successes day in, day out was about the incredible things that our students were, were learning about, reading about, how they were answering questions and how they were challenging each other's thoughts. Um, one thing with Wit and Wisdom was it promoted um, you know, professional dialogue, professional discourse. It, it learned how to have an intelligent argument between each other. Um, and those sort of things, those, those 21st century skills that we call them in New York State, even though it's the 21st century already, but collaboration, <laughs> you know, collaboration, cooperation, critical thinking, that took place in, in literacy and in ELA every single day. Um, and the challenges was, was just the uncertainty um, of, of the year that we experienced last year. Were, you know, yeah. were we going to be shut down? Things like that. that. That was things we really couldn't control. But the challenges with, um, with wit and wisdom with the new curriculum, it was pacing. It was getting everyone used to the rigor and the pace and the fear that teachers didn't want to leave things out. If we had to, yeah. you know, if we had to cut corners a little bit to keep on pace, you know, what was it that we could choose that wasn't really dialed into what our core values were as, as a district, as teachers, um, and what also wasn't really tied into the standards that we're, we're working towards? Yeah, yeah. I think, oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say, I think that's something we hear from a lot of people is the pacing is tough and it's hard to, you know, when everything builds on each other to be successful in those modules, it's hard to want to cut anything out. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it, sounds I, familiar. Yeah. And I think even more so we just, our teachers heading into year two over the summer, we participated in the um, focus on fluency, professional learning and um, the writing. There's a specific writing, professional learning. And those two sessions, um, we actually just this past week, we, we kind of debriefed that we, we participated in the professional learning two weeks ago, and now we had dedicated planned team time for mm -hmm. this learning community to kind of unpack that a little bit more and think about how that's going to impact our goals um, around curriculum implementation in the year ahead. And our goals were set um, because at the, towards the end of the year, um, we wanted to kind of bring, you know, we've had all these great uh, experiences throughout the year, you know, some learning we had teachers say, you know, I, I, I left some things out at one point and now I realize I shouldn't have. I now going into another module, I realize I need to keep some of those, you know, what I had taken out in. Um, but we wanted to set goals in the spring of last year, the close of, as we sunsetted on the first year, we wanted to set goals and plan um, for the next year ahead. And we were very fortunate to stumble upon, um, not, not by coincidence, because we've been following the aha blogs through uh, Wit and Wisdom and Great Minds. But um, Lori, you wrote a blog around setting goals and planning for next year's wit and wisdom implementation. Um, and that, you know, kind of idea of um, plan setting goals, planning, implementing, reflecting, and, and revising spoke to like the nature of our learning communities where there's this continuous improvement cycle where we plan, do, study, and act around that. Um, so through that uh, AHA blog, it helped us to reflect, teachers reflected on their successes, and specifically, we've chose the areas of complex texts and fluency and writing to reflect on. Um, we looked for the trends and discussed the trends together um, by grade level, and then each grade level set a goal specifically around um, for the year ahead. We revised those goals a little bit after the professional learning, but it was nice to have um, kind of a, a, a beginning, you know, kind of something to work off of. Uh, and now as we move forward in year two, our focus is really thinking about how um, not only are we attending to those goals, but then really focusing on meeting um, all students' needs um, within, within the curriculum implementation. So we're deepening our understanding and ability to implement wit and wisdom with a focus on meeting student needs. Not that we weren't meeting student needs last year, but we were learning and implementing a new curriculum. And now we can leverage that experience to help us meet students' needs um, even in a, in a more explicit and systematic way. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I'm thinking I, when you said that your one of your goals, your one of your first goals is um, how teachers are supporting students and accessing complex texts. Melissa and I just started a newsletter. And... Last week was the first, not last week, Tuesday was the first uh, release and it, we addressed complex text. So we will send it to you if you want some resources there. 
<laughs> Thank you so much. Um, I was like, oh, we have some stuff to share. We could totally help them. Can, can I add to my successes and challenges? Yes, absolutely. Right. Please. Thank you. Um, You're like, wait a minute. After hearing Francine, my answer was, yeah, I need to add. I have it. You, yeah. Your response was wonderful, John. I want to tell you it was a good response. So. Yeah, thank you. I You're appreciate welcome. that. Um, I think some of the other successes that we saw especially from our, our inclusive classrooms was the fact that our, our students with, with learning disabilities and reading, they, there's so much dialogue. There's so much, um, so much discourse that read alouds in talking to a friend and reading to each other. And there's also aspects of the curriculum that is poetry and that is artwork and that is videos mm-hmm. um, and hearing famous speeches being read aloud. Um, uh, these yeah. students had access to the curriculum like they never had before. And you would walk into a co-taught classroom and you would have no idea what student, because every kid could answer the questions. Every kid had, knew exactly what was going on. And the predictability and the routines that were built into the curriculum allowed those kids to thrive even more because students with learning disabilities, they, they need that structure. They need that predictability. They need to know what's going to happen. So giving them the comfort and predictability of wit and wisdom helped them so, so much. Um, one of the challenges that we saw, though, across grades three, four, and five, with this regular, rigorous curriculum, with these really deep, engaging texts, we realized some students that, you know, these, these tier two type students, they really struggle with some of these multisyllabic words. They really struggle with writing. And now in a year when we stripped away all the support that we traditionally had with instructional specialists or AIS teachers, they were teaching right alongside in, in the class next door this year. So they weren't there to help support these students. So then teachers were asking Francine and I, what do we do with these kids? How can I help this kid? Because I've never had to do that before. So finding ways in meeting with teams and having teachers ask those questions and finding the resources that we could provide during a pandemic um, and giving teachers the skills. So Francine could definitely answer this better than I can. But um, using, you know, using curricular resources or, or additional resources like Haggerty or the Kilpatrick, um, Kilpatrick reading list and finding ways that we you know, partnered with the Reading League to assess students where they had those gaps in their learning. So using the quick phonics screener in the past and, and giving teachers the tools to be able to diagnose these, these issues within reading and then giving them the help and support they could use to, to teach those things. Yeah. Yeah, I think that that's a real challenge that grades you just named for grades three, four, and five in particular. I mean, as a former fifth grade teacher, fifth grade was my very favorite grade to teach, but I did come across that challenge and I did feel inadequately prepared to support students who needed it. So I think, you know, giving them tools that can help them address, like, is it a foundational skills issue? Is it how are they, how is that impacting fluency? Because we know comprehension is just the show of what the underlying issues are and, and we have to dig to get that root cause. So that's, yeah. that's really Add middle school and, and high smart. school to that. Too, middle school Laura. and high school. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we actually are wrapping up um, our, so we have foundations, uh, which is a core um, word study program tier one and st- that we have in our grades K one and two kindergarten, first and mm-hmm. second grade really exciting that this coming year, um, we're wrapping that up to grade three. So grade three will be in a continuous extension of teaching those foundational school skills in a review. And for fourth and fifth grade um, teachers, not only will third, fourth and fifth grade teachers have access to um, a resource to help develop boning proficiency if that's needed for the students to support them where they're at, but our fourth and fifth grade teachers will also have access to, actually, we're asking all fourth and fifth grade teachers this year to teach the six syllable types and prefixes and suffixes. And um, that's through, uh, we're using the 95% group to do that. And we know that not in all, probably not um, long-term, we'll need to provide that instruction tier one. And we're even looking at that at our middle school as well. But because of some of the learning interruptions due to COVID, and also just catching up with some of the um, aspects of instruction that maybe some students didn't receive. Um, we, yeah. we, we know that this will benefit. Um, some students need this to, to be really advantaged for being successful readers, and it will benefit and advantage all students, even students that have maybe a sound foundational um, skill. They're going to learn something new from a linguistic study around the six syllable types um, and think, learn things that they didn't know before about our English language. So 
when they're teaching a vocabulary word in wit and wisdom and students might be having difficulty decoding the word or looking at the word, they can now apply those six syllable types in, in, in within um, the instruction to help stu support students. Or when we look at the fluency drills, if there's ways in which um, certain words we can look at to help students decode those to aid their fluency mm -hmm. um, for that deeper comprehension and understanding. So, you know, all of these different pieces, um, are coming together for us, which is also really exciting that, you know, that it's, it's all part of what students need and, and, um, in their literacy instruction. And we just feel so fortunate to, you know, be working with the educators and students, um, that are excited about their learning as well. I'm excited totally. to hear that you're, you have an intervention like ready to go and it's in support of what you've seen, not in support of what you think students need because there was a pandemic. So thank you for, for really like <laughs> seeing students in that light. Like I, I think my heart would be like chopped in half right now. If you were like, you know what, we're just going to stop teaching, uh, moving ahead with like third grade, they're going to redo some of, or, you know, if it's a fourth grade student and they're coming from third, they're going to redo half of third grade wit and wisdom and then half of fourth, like, I don't know if crazy things out there are happening like that. I don't, I don't think so, but I, I hope, hope not. not. And <laughs> yeah, this, what you just shared is so appropriate to doing what your students need while also continuing on, you know, your journey at, with high quality materials, but also your student's journey of knowledge. So I'm, I'm super excited to hear that. Yeah. And I think we'd, we'd love to like, even just send us an email mid-year and, and give us a little update. Make sure you, yeah. make sure you do that for us. And yeah. I love that it even like connects to, you know, like you just talked about like, like connecting to the vocabulary and wit and wisdom with the multisyllabic words, right? Like it's not even totally separate that you can like help them make the connections and see yeah. it's not two different things. <laughs> They're coming together. For fourth and yeah. fifth grade, for fourth and fifth grade, especially it's a 10 to 12 minute routine that they'll, you know, instructional routine that they'll add on. Um, which will provide a lot of great learning for students and, and it's going to educate the teachers because a lot of the teachers, you know, this, sure. is, this is new to them. It's, um, it's educating them around our language and ways. And I know back in, you know, as a former high school and middle school teacher in ELA and also a literacy, like I didn't learn many of these things until more recently around um, the science of reading and how our English language works. So same here, um, Francine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Welcome just, to the club. <laughs> I, I just also wanted to take a minute to talk about, we had a group of teachers bubble up. You know, we asked teachers if we wanted to record and tell our story. We weren't really sure what our story would be this past year, but we just knew it was kind of important to dial, to kind of journal and somehow capture what thing, how things happened this year. And we actually partnered with Great Minds to ha have them help us to do that. And I think we'll probably see something come out. I don't know if it's a video or a blog that will be coming out about our journey. Um, but the collaboration of these, uh, there's a teacher at each grade level and they became lead learners and kind of ambassadors along the way. They were journaling every week. They were given a prompt to, to reflect on their teaching and what they were learning, what their students were learning. Um, and we really, you know, through that, it also helped me to focus our discussions with teachers around what do you see in student learning? What are, what's the student action? What does students have? What are students doing within the lesson? And then what are the teachers doing? Um, so that'll be really exciting. And I know some of the voices that you'll hear as part of this podcast or the series that will be um, teachers that were involved in that journey um, and the learning that they that occurred for them and their students. That's amazing. I will link it in the show notes once it comes out. Thank you. So that everybody can can visit that for a resource. Thank you for sharing. And one more thing, well, I just, I just oh, want to, well, I just wanted to highlight, you know, this won't, this is not possible without a committed, dedicated building leader to ensure and remove obstacles, to champion the work, you know, so working with John, um, to, so working with John on this, you know, has been incredible. Um, he's, he's learns, you know, we go into classrooms, we've done some learning walks, we're going to continue more of those as the year progresses, but he has made this work possible. Um, for, because as a district leader, I can only put so many things in place, but it has to be enacted by the building and embraced by the building leader. And I'm just so fortunate to be working with um, such a collaborative and skilled leader as such as John. Thanks, Francine. I appreciate that. But it's, it's, uh, it's been a pleasure over the past year to do all this together. 
Well, thank you both for being here. Um, I feel like we are coming to the time when we ask you to leave our listeners with a piece of advice. So something that you'd like them to take away from this podcast. And John, since you introduced yourself first, I'm going to ask Francine to leave her piece of advice first. Is that okay? That sounds good. Yeah. Okay. I I just encourage um, wherever you are in your curriculum implementation process or wherever you are, just trust the process. Um, Starting something new is always difficult. And even as you continue implementing, um, you know, to that uncovering that next layer and deepening your understanding, just trust the process, put the right structures in place to support students and teachers, and then trust the process. That was great, Fran. Uh, For me, it's going to be just have a mindset of continuous improvement. That doesn't have to be great leaps and bounds, you know, every year, every day, every month, but little improvements day to day go a long way. And, And the last thing is just the students can handle it. Trust your students. They will amaze you no matter how hard you push them, they will respond in incredible ways. Thank you. Now, typically on any other podcast day, we would be finished with the podcast right now, but I have about a two minute segment that um, uh, Melissa and I, well, I did this without her knowing, and then she totally was excited for it. So it's um, a little segment Uh, where we ask a question and you answer as a human being, not as a literacy person, or if you want to answer as a literacy person, because that makes you more comfortable, that's okay too. So I'm going to give you two options. These are fun little cards called pod decks. um, And you can choose which one you'd like to answer. And if you don't want to, you can say pass and maybe your uh, teammate will answer. (laughs) Are we ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Okay. All right, so two options. Share what you do if you won the lottery or discuss your desert island books, music, movies. I'll, I'll take um, if you won the lottery. That's what I'll take. Okay. Um, for, five, for 500, right? Yeah, you're right, yeah. I would first, I would... Um, <laughs> I'd pay off all my student loans. That's probably the first thing and all and my debt. And then I take my yeah. family and we would, you know, it depends on how much money, but we would go away for a long time and just, <laughs> just live, you know, live life to its fullest. So that's what we do. Well, I guess I will take the uh, desert island. Is that, could you is it desert island? Was it book, music? And movies. And movies. I mean, you can also add podcasts into there or whatever you prefer, any kind of I think consumption of a product. Yeah. So I'm a big Dave Matthews band fan. Um, so I would have to say a little DMB um, on the Island. And uh, yes. so I am a triathlete. So I love to run and bike and swim and do some other uh, strength training. So I would have to say um, in terms of books, anything that helps me to learn more about those areas. I just love reading motivational books about runners and their stories. Um, they're kind of overcoming triumph, setting goals or overcoming obstacles, you know, to be triumphant in, in setting goals. Um, that tenacity and kind of pushing through obstacles, I feel like has helped me professionally as well. Uh, transfers. So and then in terms of um, books or, or sorry, podcasts or um, other movies, I think, I don't know, we've, my husband and I have started to binge watch different things um, during the pandemic. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, so we loved, we just watched Ted Lasso and um, we just, there's, I think anything that has just like a good story at heart. Um, is, yeah. And that's why I love listening to your podcasts, Lori and Melissa. <laughs> I learn a lot too. So, well, thank you. And see, I feel like this is so fun because I didn't know all that stuff about you. And I've talked to you a lot previously. Like that's, see, I didn't know any of that. Um, what, what was the first thing you said? Dave Matthews, right? Dave Matthews. So before I married my husband, I did not know that he didn't even know a Dave Matthews song. And I like, I just learned this in the, during the pandemic and I was really, really angry about it. I'm like, how do you not know any day? So my, like, I've made it my business during the pandemic to just constantly play Dave Matthews. And he still, I don't think can recognize a song, um, like with the lyrics, but he at least knows like the basic tunes of like the jams. 
mm-hmm. anyway, I I'm I'm also very happy to, to find another Dave Matthews friend. So yeah. he was just here in Syracuse last week. So we uh in fact I saw yeah, he's touring. Yes. Yeah. That's does so your fun. husband know does okay. he know ants ants marching? He has to know that one, right? No, he didn't know any of them. It really? was so embarrassing. It was so I so I put the Amazon music on and then I turned my back to the TV and I sang every single word to like multiple songs in a row. I did this. I mean, you know, you're very bored during the pandemic. I did it with Aerosmith. I did it with Dave Matthews. I'm like, how do you not know the words to these songs? It's so embarrassing that and you don't know anything, but he can recognize that it's a Dave Matthews song now. So we're it's like scaffolding. We're making strides. <laughs> Right. Awesome. Uh, well, <laughs> thank you both so much for being on the podcast. We are so grateful that you took so much time from your day to talk with us. And we can't wait to talk with your teachers and hear their really incredible perspective on how they've seen their students learn and grow over the past year. So yeah. thank you for giving us your time. Thank you for in advance for your teacher's time. We're just yeah. super happy to know you. And, you know, you just made me think, if I can just add something to my yeah, like add something advice, you know, trust the process. Um, and I said that to our teachers this past year and they're like, you said that to us. And now I, I like, I did trust the process and I'm so glad I did. Um, but I also, <laughs> but I also want to say it's the relationship building and that, prof- that using professional learning as a way to build a culture of, and a community of learners, both for your teachers and students. Um, so I'm excited that you'll get to meet and talk with more, uh, our, our teachers that have been a part of that community of practice. And we just really, I want to shout out the Great Minds has been very supportive to us. We've had some questions along the way um, and you, everyone there has been very responsive, um, you know, to our, um, to our needs and has helped us along this way. So. Yeah. Kudos. That's great so minds. good to hear. Yeah. Our, our- They've been awesome to work with. Um, our teachers are going to blow you away. They're fantastic. Yeah. And um, and thanks to you, Melissa and Lori, for for yeah. you know for this podcast and for bringing a lot of these ideas and, and practices and research um, to the forefront. So it's great yeah. work you're doing. Thank you, and thank you. Keep keep up on your work, and we are we can't wait to hear more. So please be in touch. You know, don't don't hold back. We don't want to wait too long to hear from you. So we'll we'll ask for an update soon for you from year two. We would love that. Sounds good. Perfect. Thank you so much for being here. Have a good rest of your day. Thank you. Yep. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening, Literacy Lovers. Be sure to visit our website to subscribe to our newsletter and podcast. It's literacypodcast.com. Yep. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Most of them are at Literacy Podcast. Yes. And please, please, please reach out to us. Melissa, what's our email address? Melissa and Lori at literacypodcast.com is our email address. And we love getting emails from you all. And <laughs> Lori we and really I really read them. Yeah, and we, we really, really respond. Fun. We just love we love when you all reach out and we, we get to have conversations with you. So please, please email yep. us. Let us know what you're thinking, what you're thinking about literacy, what you're thinking about ideas for us to podcast about. Yes, ideas for <laughs> podcasting, anything. We we love to hear from you what you liked, what you want. Yeah, We're here for you. Mostly y'all are asking questions, which is great. Yes. <laughs> we don't mind that either. Yes. We're so glad you're here to learn with us. Thank you, everybody.